The first step in getting closer to God is to realize that you need to or that you want to. And the second step in getting closer to God is to realize that it's possible. I want to encourage you to check out my book, Getting Closer to God, Anthologies from the Forefront Trilogy, Book 2. I think this will really be helpful to you in your pursuit of the Lord and help you understand what I learned over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out. Anthologies from the Forefront, Book 2, Getting Closer to God. It's on Amazon. This podcast made possible through the partnership of Engaging Mission Show, bringing missions home, and encouraging you to hear a message, make connections, and take action. Find out more at engagingmissions.com. Welcome to From the Forefront, an Epix Missions podcast. Stories about courageous souls who felt the call of missions and obeyed. Hi, Scott McClelland here with your From the Forefront, FX Missions podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're pretty excited today to have the opportunity to have a conversation with Jorge Flores. Jorge. Hey, Scott. All right, bro. How you doing? Muy bien, amigo. ¿Y tú? Entonces, hermano. Estoy muy bien. Gracias a Dios. It's awesome. It's good, uh, to be, good to be with you today. Hey, man. Thanks for being here. There, there's a lot going on in the Flores world right now. I appreciate you taking some time to kind of go over it some with us. It's going to be an inspiring story. I'd like to talk about, you know, a little bit about your background and where you're coming from and that kind of thing, but also what's right in front of you guys. I know you got some exciting developments in front of you, but first of all, let's talk about where we met. I, I'm sure you remember that. And it's been, I think it was 2011, 2011. Okay. So we met. Yeah. It had to have been. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. So it's cool for me when it comes to missions because I always meet the coolest people on the road or in the field, as you would call it. And, and that's how we met in, in Nicaragua. You were there with some guys and we were doing an event. You guys were involved. It was a great time. You guys, I think you had three or four other guys with you at that time. Yeah. What had happened is that as a music minister, I had a. Uh, just put out an album. You know, missions is in my in my DNA, man. It's my first love. If it was up to me, I'd I'd have everyone go on a short term mission trip. Everyone on this planet should experience a short term mission trip. Mm. So at that time in my life, I got a hold of a couple of other uh, hip hop artists. Mm-hmm. I had never met these guys. Met them on Facebook. I kind of shot the idea out there that we were going to put a little tour together in Nicaragua. But this wasn't your average tour. This was a missions. First and foremost, we were going there to serve and then have some concert opportunities or to minister through concerts. And that's exactly what happened. Now, uh, find ourselves in Nicaragua. I uh, met the two other artists from Tampa Bay, Florida. Met me there. I believe we were in El Crucero. I think you guys were having a youth conference there. And one of the nights was a concert. And we were able to minister there through songs. So that's how we met. Yeah. And in El Crucero, Nicaragua. Man, yeah, that's a that was a great time, a great memory, and a very lively crowd, as I remember. Yeah, and I, and I do want to echo what you said. 
traveling, not only getting to see this beautiful place we call Earth, but you know, you're doing that while you're serving God's people. But along the way, you meet some extraordinary individuals. People fascinate me, man. I'm intrigued by people. So that's that's one of the perks of doing mission work is just, you know, you're inspired. And that's actually the benefit of it. you meet people. Yes, people are amazing. You meet some unique humans. But what do you receive from those humans? You receive inspiration. Why do you walk away? Mm-hmm. It's not a selfish thing. I think we're on this earth to fellowship with one another, one another and to edify and encourage one another. And some people's personalities encourage me. Some people's talents and giftings encourage me. On that occasion we met, was it, um, I forget his name, homeboy from mm-hmm. Costa Rica. Yeah. Motivational speaker. I remember him, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I cannot bring his name back right now, unfortunately. Yeah. People like him that you're just like, you know, wow. He, you know, his, I, I don't know what his medical physical condition was, but his, you know, his arms weren't very long, but he could kick a soccer ball and do all these tricks that I with two fully functioning arms can't do. <laughs> mm, for you sure, know? man. So, Inspirational guy. Absolutely. Yeah. That, yeah, you receive something. That's my prayer always when I go out is, Lord, let me give everything I'm supposed to give. Let me receive everything I'm supposed to receive. Mm. And let everyone be left better off by your grace. That's mm. kind of the three-point prayer that I always ask and go by while mm. I'm on a short-term trip. But you got some history in short-term missions. If I'm not mistaken, a really big development in your life happened when you were on a mission trip. Some people call it the biggest upgrade ever after meeting Jesus. Am I tracking in the right direction here? Yeah, man. It's it's it's, <laughs> it's like receiving a promotion, I guess. You know what, Scott? Let me let me just go back a little bit and say that I commend you for doing this here with the forefront, from the forefront uh, through this FX Mission podcast. I think it's so important that uh, people hear the hearts of others and the heart of Jesus, first and foremost. Missions is what really has uh, I almost went as far as saying seared me. <laughs> what, am I, what am I? No, branded me. That's the word I was like. Branded you. Yeah, there you go. Branded me, man. And, it's, and it hasn't been by my own doing. It's really the calling of God in my life. And, and I'd have to really go back to when I was six and seven years old living in Nicaragua. Did you grow up in Nicaragua? I moved to the United States when I was nine. So, yes, I was born and raised in Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. My grandma took me to church. My mother wasn't really into, I mean, she, you know, I saw her every day, but she worked long hours and mm-hmm. my grandma practically raised me and she had a true servant's heart, man. And so, you know, mm-hmm. you, it's amazing how you growing up, there's people in your life that model serving for you, whether you know it or not, they model mm-hmm. for you. And then that just, that gets instilled in you from a very young age. But I guess I want to start by thanking the Lord for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think we all have some of that in our lives. Sure. And before I tell a little bit about what I believe to be the root of why I believe I'm called to missions, one one of the factors is I want to say that what the devil meant for evil, what he meant for destruction, man, the Lord has a way of saying, well, let me just take this and I'm going to show you what's up. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I've kind of blocked this out. I believe it's from six to seven years old. Mm-hmm. My next door neighbor in Nicaragua sexually abused me. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, man, that does that does things to a kid, man. Uh, it, mm. I mean, it introduces you to something that that God created that is 
intended to be pure, a pure act between a man and a woman. In my case, that's not how it was, it was introduced to me. Mm-hmm. So it threw me in for a loop, man. It threw me in for a, for a big loop. I remember the shame factor being introduced to me from a very young age. So in my adolescent years, even though I knew the word, I mean, my, my grandma from a very, here's the thing. My grandma, before this event in my life, I was five, six years old. My grandma would enter me in Bible reciting contests. <laughs> and I would, I would smoke 10, 12 year olds. She raised me. So we, our days were spent, you know, learning Bible verses. So I remember my very first price or award, if you will, at a church, you know, in front of many people, you know, they'd call you up, you know, Latin American churches, they call you up to the front and they, boom, you, you battle it out, man. My very first, <laughs> my very first price was a Bible. And so Proverbs tells us that if you instruct a child in his ways, when they grow up, they shall not depart. So the word of God was in me, man, from a very beginning. And, and, the, and the enemy knew there was a plan for my life. So he went all out, man. It was all out warfare to try to steal, kill, and destroy that. Yes, sir. So growing up in my adolescent years, that shame followed me. And um, when I was 16 years old, I had I had enough of what I thought were the rules and the do's and don'ts of the church. You know, I mean, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you begin to rebel. You, you got a whole plethora of issues that hover over you. And, and you know, you just, you don't want to hear it. So I began to, to seek answers. I had questions. I had many questions. I just didn't feel the church was giving them to me or the way that mm. it was being given to me. I just didn't think it, it was adequate for my understanding. Right. So I began to stray away and to cover up that shame, I resorted to substance abuse, man. It began with mm. a little joint of marijuana, a little joint of weed. By the time I was 18, two years later, I was getting kilos of cocaine furnished to me from the Mexican cartel here and uh wow. i'm two hours from the iowa border but i was living in iowa i mean heartland usa oh yeah and here's an 18 year old kid man with his cocaine dealers giving him an ounce of or a kilo of cocaine say here pay me later and did did okay for a while man did okay for a while uh you know coming back with this money and stuff and then i started you know i mean you try that you you'd one one hit of cocaine man since you since you for a loop wow. so um f- from 18 to about 26 man i self-medicated. I resorted to trying not everything under the sun. Can't say that I've done everything under the sun, but anything that would that would cover up that shame temporarily. Artificial. The keyword is artificial there because yeah. nothing can compare to the, what the blood of Christ can do in someone's life. What accepting the fact that I've been forgiven can do to someone's life. So 18 to 26, just pure madness. Pure, mm. pure madness. Caught six drug charges in Iowa. Not one of them, thank goodness, a felony. Wow. Because in the state of Iowa, it's the, all six drug charges were, were with possession of marijuana. Two of them were with cocaine. Marijuana still uh, at that time, uh, mid-90s, late-90s, was still a, beginning to be a slap on the wrist, especially if you didn't have huge quantities of it. I always managed to not get caught with the big stuff. So um, I, I played the system. I, I knew what to do. I'd, I'd go to a 12-step program, outpatient, rehab. By the time my court date came around, and I was a functioning addict, it was the category I would I would have fallen right, under. So right. I, I maintained a job. So come my court date, the judge would look at my my status and say, "Okay, you've had a job for a couple of years now. Okay, you're taking the right steps. You seem to be wanting to better yourself." Okay, slap on the wrist. You see, this is just a revolving door, man. Because if you really, if you're just trying to play the system, and you're not really wholeheartedly seeking restoration. 
you're going to end up chasing your tail. So right. did that for almost a decade, man. And I am so thankful that I am not, that I'm here alive. I'm alive talking to you and that I'm not in prison. Those are going to be the, the two. The, <laughs> yes. I don't think we'd be having a podcast conversation from, you know, from a prison cell, right? <laughs> All jokes aside, man, just, it was just pure madness. What, what I put myself through, I put my family through. But again, let's go back to the to missions. 2006, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm 26 years old. I've had great paying jobs, great employment opportunities, but I got nothing to show for myself. Mm. My mother and I decide that it's better for me to, to, to go back to Nicaragua, to the country I was born in. I still have family down there and um, she gives me $120, puts $120 in my pocket, buys me an airplane ticket one way to Nicaragua. And my thought process was, well, I'm going to go down there and chill out. I need a break. My life's a mess. I'm still not thinking Christ, though. I'm still not thinking, hey, I'm going to allow God to come into the, to my life. I'm thinking I'm going to go, you know, just gather the pieces, get away from my circle of friends mm-hmm. here. Right. It's important to do that. You know, any anyone that that goes through substance abuse, if you don't get away from that circle of friends that are tying you down, I'd hate to use this, these words, but you're dead meat. You, you're just, you're prey. Mm. You're just prey to, you're going to continue to be prey to your predator. Puts $120 in my pocket, buys me a one-way ticket, sends me to Nicaragua. My plan is to be down there two or three months, right? And just kind of get myself together. Mm-hmm. That's not what the Lord had planned. My uncle was the administrator of a fa- of a faith-based mission whose home church was out of Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you ever heard of a pastor in Managua called Ronnie Kofer. I do think I have. Ronnie yes. Kofer just passed last this last year. Mm. Great man of vision. Went down there originally in 19, was it 1998 for Hurricane Mitch? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, was yep. it Mitch? Mitch. Yeah. Mitch, fell in yeah. love with the country. His church sent him down to Nicaragua. He, within a few years, he had churches in 18 different communities, rural villages in Nicaragua with pastors set in place. So he planted 18, 20 churches and each church had a feeding center. So you had the home church in, in, in Greensboro, but then Pastor Ron's church was in Managua, a pretty large church. And that these churches, this mission supported the rural communities, the, the rural outreaches, churches and, and feeding centers. Mm-hmm. So a great man of vision. And so my uncle was his right-hand man, his administrator, general manager, if you would. So my uncle said, hey, I'm going to put you to work. We, we host a lot of mission teams and we need interpreters. So here I am. I'm bilingual. And man, mm-hmm. I remember July 1st. 2006, Saturday night. I'm partying like there's no tomorrow, man. I know I'm leaving the country for a few months. I'm going to go out with my friends and just do this one more time. I'm partying Saturday night. I'm landing in Managua Sunday night. I'm going on my first mission trips Monday morning. (laughs) 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 What a great sequence of events, huh? Wow, bro. Wow. And so, but God had a plan, man. God had a plan this whole time. And I remember the first week, uh, I was a mission team from West Virginia, pretty large one, over 20 people. Eight of them were doctors. The rest were youth because it was summertime. But Scott, I must have been hiding under a rock for the last 20 years or something because I didn't know that churches did this, that groups of people planned a 
outing, a week's worth of an outing, you know, sometimes longer, but, and they hopped on a plane with supplies and aid and whatever purpose they were going to go down to accomplish to do short term Mm -hmm. mission trips. I mean, you know, you watch Nat Geo, National Geographic Channel, you watch the, the Discovery Channel, you know, people do humanitarian work, right? But I didn't know that churches specifically did this. So I was mind blown. So that first week we went to El Crucero. To San Rafael, San Rafael is about 10 minutes there from El Crucero and um, did, <laughs> wow. yeah, did some medical outreach. And my job that week was to interpret for the doctor. I'd sit down with the doctor. There was lines. I remember lines of people from village to village that we went to, people wanting to you know, see doctors. And my job was just to relay what they were feeling. So the doctor would ask questions. And then, and I just remember Scott feeling so important. No, no, important is not the word. I remember feeling like, I was good for something. Because remember, man, I'm hooked on substances. Uh, I'm depressed because with substance abuse comes depression. With all, you know, chemical imbalance, come on, man. I'm a hot mess. Mm. This is why when I talk to addicts, people who are going through substance abuse, I say, man, we got to find a way to serve others. We have to find a way. You have to find a way to put yourself in a position to where you are serving others and you are letting go of your pity. And I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I know I say this with all the grace and love in the world, but it's so important to, in a time where the devil's lies are in your ears that you're no good, that you're useless. You you mm-hmm. want them out to look at you, look at you. Who are you? You're, you're nothing. You have nothing to offer the world because of your current condition. Those are lies. Finding yourself in a position where you're serving others, it's a matter of life or death. And so I remember something stirring up inside of me that week, like I've never, never felt before. And a week after doing this medical outreach for a week, again, this is all foreign mm-hmm. to me, man. I mean, I'm just getting rocked. Mm-hmm. Picked up another mission team because this, this faith-based mission in Managua hosted about 30 to 35 mission teams a year. It was busy week after week after week. So we, we left that mission team, went and picked up another one at the airport. And I actually had a chance to fellowship and worship at that home church in Managua for the first time. I remember the pastor making an altar call. And I just remember tears just running down my eyes. I cried like a little boy, man. And because as wow. he was preaching, my whole life, it was like a movie reel in my head. I, I just mm-hmm. remember the last those last 10 years of my life, how just everything compacted and saturated. Everything just led me to conclude that I needed a savior. And so I ran, I ran and made a public declaration for wow. Christ to come into my life and, and begin to restore it. And I stuck around that for the, with that mission organization for about two and a half years. A year after I began to, to work for that mission organization, my wife, Jessica, comes on a short-term mission trip with the home church from Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we met. That's how we met. She wasn't supposed to be on that trip. Actually, her ticket was in her brother-in-law. It was un- under his name, but they were, they were fostering two brothers and the opportunity to adopt those brothers came up. So now, now they had to go through some uh. trainings that the state mandated them to go through. And it, those dates conflicted with the mission trip. And so her brother-in-law mm. said, Hey, I'm just going to transfer this to your name. And here comes Jessica. We spent a whole week together. I'm her guide. I'm her interpreter. I'm her, now I'm her everything. 
But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's how we met. But you see, missions, yeah. missions, 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 missions. I say this, missions is what bridged the gap between my Savior and myself. You know, that void that, that was there that existed in my life is missions that bridged it, man. It's, it's just how it is, man. And wow, so man. from the get go, wow. my wife and I, we knew we had a calling. Yeah. And then, you know, what happens? You come back to the States because I've, you know, I've always been a resident of the United States, even while living in Nicaragua. But even that in itself, the enemy was still trying to, man, like keep in mind those drug charges I gave you or that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you told me at the beginning of this podcast, you need to tell your story. And I said, I told you, you, you're, yeah. you're my witness. He said, I'm full of stories. <laughs> so this is your doing, Scott. It's interesting how the, and I know the immigration is a hot topic right now, man. Immigration, mm-hmm. it, it has, it is, and it will continue to be. I ended up spending three years, almost two and a half years in Nicaragua, okay? And in those two and a half years, in order to comply with my residency, my status here in the States, I have to come back once a year, like clockwork, man. Going through the airport like clockwork, I'd get pulled aside by Immigration and Customs and I'd get interrogated. First, because in the system, they see that someone who's a resident is having extended stays out of the country. I know now that if you are a resident, if you have your green card, Immigration doesn't want you out of the country for more than six months because otherwise, why you are a United States resident, right? right I've learned yeah. that you can get away for up to a year before they actually terminate your residency. So... I kind of stretch my limits and, but I knew because my grandparents would do it all the time. They were elderly. They didn't get their residency until they were like 70 years old. And so mm-hmm. I knew that they would only travel every 11 and a half months. And I knew I could, mm-hmm. the rule was six months, but I knew you could do 11 and a half months. Anyways, customs and immigrations would always pull me aside and they'd ask me, Hey, what are you doing outside of the country for more than six months? And I'd tell him, Hey, I'm doing mission work down here. Then the second question would always be, Mr. Flores, do you have a police record? My answer would always be, boy, do I. Look it up. It's right in front of you. You know, and, and, and it always. <laughs> you, <laughs> you already know I have a record. Come on. Why are you asking me this? Yeah, you know, I, I, was, I, joked, I joked around with the agents. You know, I, I, uh-huh. you know, I wasn't in a position to get bitter or angry. You're like, well, you know, sure, sure. I'm just trying to get to my next flight and I don't want to miss it. And after the first time I knew, I knew that, you know, every other time it was going to be a risk. So long story short, in the two and a half years I was in Nicaragua, I traveled back to the States three times. First time through Houston, got stopped. Second time through Miami, same thing. Third time, mm-hmm. third time, mm. I'm coming back to Houston. And this time, Scott, I get detained by ICE for three months, man. Seriously. Seriously. My wife and I, we had kind of split up. We were, you know, we were going through some some things there, but, and and so she was in North Carolina and I was, it was December 18th. And I I had told my family in Iowa, Hey, I'm, I I need to come spend a Christmas with you guys. I, you know, I haven't spent a couple of years since I've had a Christmas with you guys up there. You know, my mom and dad are here. I got two brothers here in the States. And I said, you know, I miss you guys. I've been down here in Nicaragua for almost three years. And so get a, get a ticket, but I didn't make it to Iowa. I stayed in Houston for three months. They wanted to deport me based on um, my my drug charges from the past, which, in all honesty, I get it, man. I understand it. You are. This is just my humble opinion. And this is just a completely different topic. We probably don't even need to get into. But I get it now. In hindsight, you break the law. There's consequences. But God had other plans, man. And during that during those three months, I had some time to reevaluate some things in my life and 
I met a Baptist minister there from Houston, Brother Tom, who I still keep in touch with. And I would interpret for him both Sunday nights and Monday nights in uh, chapel services there at the ICE Detention Center. And then uh, that glorious morning when uh, 5.30 in the morning when they told me I was being released. I didn't know I was being released. They just released me to the public. I didn't know anybody in Houston except Brother Tom. Gave him a call, wow. came and got me. Stayed with him a couple of days, and I eventually made it to Iowa. I eventually uh, ended up marrying Jessica. Mm-hmm. God just brought us back together, got married. We started a family. Nine years later, here we are. But, uh, you know, missions, 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 man. It's, we've known that it was missions. But you know what happens? I just, I just mentioned life happens. You get married. You have kids. You get established. You're trying to provide. You're just trying to, you know, you're trying to get through life, man. And, you know, while still being trying to be plugged into the church and whatnot and trying to serve in different areas. And five years ago, we had the opportunity to come to Quincy, Illinois. There was a children's Mm. ministry director, full-time staff position at a church. We had the privilege and honor to to serve here for five years. My last day here was May 31st, so just less than a month ago. But within a couple of months of me starting here at this at Grandview Church in Quincy, my pastor says to me, he says, hey, man, my mission trip to Mexico, that's not going to happen. Can you help us put together a mission trip to Nicaragua since you're from there and you know some people? I said, sure, let's do it. So we end up going to Nicaragua. And again, Scott, keep in mind, we weren't supposed to go on this trip because he had a trip to Mexico planned. But because that didn't go through, then he's resorting to any contact I may have. Right then, our pastor, my pastor now, was just beginning to tap into the Foursquare Church as a covering, the International mm-hmm. Foursquare Church. Keep that in mind because that's going to be important. So we go mm-hmm. to Nicaragua, and during that time, during some downtime, I managed to go and visit my paternal grandfather, who uh, I had, you know, I was never really close to this man, but I've always known, you know, him and paid some visits whenever I could. And, you know, my grandma, my maternal grandmother raised me. So plus my father, my biological father had left my mother when she was pregnant with me and had never been in my life at all. So again, Mm. not a very close relationship with this family, but I knew that my paternal grandfather during this visit was on practically his deathbed, Oh wow! 94 years old, man of God. He was a pastor with the Nazarene church for over 50 years. And I wanted to pay my respect, man. I wanted to, to pay him. I probably wasn't going to see him again because I don't, unfortunately, I don't travel back to Nicaragua too often as much as I, I would like to. So I paid him a visit. During that visit, he, he gave me his blessing. I am his firstborn grand, grandson. And so receiving, oh, wow. yeah, man, receiving that blessing was just unreal. Something shifted. In the, spiritual, mm. in the spiritual realm, something shifted in my life, mm. receiving him laying hands on me and and just blessing me. And then he tells wow. me, yes, yes. And, th- and then I find out during that visit that my biological father, a man who I have not seen since I was two years old, I am 33 at that time. My biological father is a four square minister in Panama. He's a minister with the four square church. And Wow. And so I'm going, whoa, time out. I'm in a Foursquare church. At that time, I had already begun my licensing process with the Foursquare church. Foursquare has you get licensed first, and then you have to serve 
whether it's full-time staff or somehow be active in a four-square church for three years to get ordained. So you get licensed and then you get ordained. But I was just beginning to go through my licensing process. And I'm like, whoa, time out. This is crazy. This is, this is not a coincidence that the man who helped me come into this world, who I have not seen in, since I was two years old, is a four-square minister. And I, by no coincidence, I'm in a four-square church in the United States of America. Now, he's in Panama, but I'm in a four-square church. I'm about to be licensed with the four-square church. This is crazy. What are you trying to do, Lord? What are you trying to do? Mm. So wow. this pushed me to pursue communication with this man, with my, with my father, and I did. Soon enough, we began planning a reunion trip. But I, mm. I told him from the get-go, and, I, and I, you can quote me on this. <laughs> I said, I don't want this to be a typical, average, ordinary father-son reunion. He said to me, mm-hmm. what do you mean? What do you want to do? I said, let's get to work. He said, what do you mean? I said, mm. let's do some mission work. And he, goes, mm. he goes, done. <laughs> he said, where do you want to go? I said, wherever no one else wants to go. My heart has always been with rural communities in Latin America. The harder it is to reach, the more I want to be there, fellowshipping mm-hmm. with, with my brothers and sisters, man, and providing resources, whatever resources we may be able to provide that encourages and edifies that local body of Christ at that location. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe you saw the documentary. Did you watch the documentary? I have seen some of that. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are video artists too, but you know, you're just blowing my mind here. Thing after thing after thing, the Lord had lined up for you there. And finally it leads to you stepping out to meet your paternal grandfather and then getting a connection with your dad, who's kind of flowing in the same stream, so to speak. As you are in in Panama, you reached out, you wanted to do something out of the ordinary. And we've got about 10 more minutes. So I want to make sure and and find out where that trip to meet your dad in Panama, where did that lead you? Man, that led us to uh, a whole week with him doing some intense mission work. Jessica and I came back to the States. We looked at each other and we said, (laughs) I think this is our green light. I think this is what we've been waiting for for eight years since we got married. That's, this was last year, right? And wow. we've, we've just known, we've known that this is our calling in life. You know, we have two little girls, Eliana, who's six, Myla, who's mm. four. And this is what we want to pass on to them at all costs. And by all costs, it means, hey, stopping. We started a business two, three years ago that is flourishing mm-hmm. and thriving as we speak. And the Lord is saying, mm-hmm. stop it. You know, sell your house, <laughs> go. If it means uprooting the girls from what they know, their grandparents are here, their aunts are here. You know, Colossians 3.23 says, do all things as if unto the Lord. And really, man, at the end of my days, I may not be able to leave my girls with an inheritance of a million dollars, but I, I want to leave them with the inheritance of, and the modeling of obedience. I want him to look at each other and say, boy, dad didn't leave us any money, did he? Okay. Or maybe, maybe hopefully I will. But you know what? <laughs> he showed us how to be obedient to God. Wow, man. That's a heritage that I appreciate. And I think from an eternal sense, passing on a heritage of obedience is worth any and everything, especially compared to temporal life. If we can pass on something like that, we, we can know that we've honored the Lord and honored those who we've entrusted it to. So that's super cool. We took a really quick turn there from you were going to visit your dad in Panama to 
Hey, I'm headed to Panama. So you guys are headed to Panama. We are headed to Panama, man, with the FMI, Foursquare Missions International. Wow. Which is the missions branch of the Foursquare Church. And mm-hmm. we are uh, receiving training. We're being equipped. We're also support raising right now as much as we can. Our deployment date is for February 2019. We're putting our house out for sale in August. It'd be interesting to see how this unfolds, but we know God's already there. So we're excited um, that we... You know, that we aren't winging this. Um, I've known missionaries that are independently kind of swim against the current, but we're, we're, we're just so excited and, and blessed to be under the coverage of FMI, Foursquare Missions International. And God has already shown himself just with great favor in the support raising process. Right now, we, we are at 50% of meeting our, our goal for mm-hmm. our first time expenses. Mm-hmm. Everything that we need to move there, first time expenses, we're 50% of that. And then we are wow. about 25% cool. of our monthly budget. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. a huge assignment, man. Not for the faint-hearted. Um, this is, <laughs> this is, we either have to be out of our minds or really grounded mm-hmm. on God's calling in our lives or both. Yeah. Some people probably uh, say both. Yeah. That, that is uh, extremely intriguing to me. It sounds like the Lord has accelerated you guys since that meeting. A couple of key meetings there that you didn't miss. You didn't miss that connection with your paternal granddad. And you didn't miss that connection with your dad. I appreciate your courage, man. As somebody whose parents were divorced at two years of age, I want to say I applaud your courage for taking those steps because there's a sort of an excitement in making those connections. But there's also a dread, you know, that, that comes with it as well. From my experience, I could say that's been true. Reconnecting isn't the easiest thing, but it seems like in this particular case, it was key to some of your next steps. And I thank God for giving you the courage and attending you with his grace to get started in that direction. So very, very cool. He knows we need a boost, man. He knows that in our own strength, we can't do it. It's interesting you bring up the dreading factor though. Yeah, because meeting my father, who out of the almost 800 four square churches in Panama, supervised 120 of them. Like when, when, after the week that we spent together, Jessica was like, he's like a modern day Paul Wow! and everything I've ever wanted to be, you know, like, yeah, I don't know him. And how do I begin this process? Yeah. I know we spent a whole week doing mission work. Yeah. I know he's my biological father, but I almost begin to dread building this relationship with someone who's just to me, like higher caliber. And, but mm-hmm. yet he happens to be, um, I'm a descendant of his bloodline. Now, Scott, real mm-hmm. quick, people know we're going to Panama. Why are we going to Panama? There's three real quick things I want to mention. We want to team up. We want to partner with the Panamanian Foursquare Church. Now, Foursquare is interdenominational, so we're not just binded to Foursquare. We'll, mm-hmm. know, we see a ministry yeah. opportunity where we can serve. Hey, we'll do it. Uh, but yes, our objective is to partner up, team up, and race up the next generation of, of missionaries. We want to encourage children's ministry leaders to step up and not to feel this unqualified. Unfortunately, that's a, a feeling a lot of people, even, even here in the States, you ask a church, what is your biggest challenge right now in your ministries? In children's ministry or youth ministry? Oh, we don't have enough people serving. We don't have enough people stepping up. You know, we're short on 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 people, on our, you know, whatever. And, and it's it's because I think part of it is is people feel unqualified. And and that is mm-hmm. that is across the board here and in Latin America. We saw that uh, yeah. the first trip where we asked a pastor, we said, hey, how many kids are in this community? Pastor said about 200. And when we asked how many of those 200 kids came to church, he said, 
five. Wow. We just kind of looked at each other and said, something needs to be done. And we attribute that to people within the church just perhaps thinking, I'm not equipped to teach Sunday school. I'm not creative. Oh, I just don't have it in me. So we want to we wanna kind of change the dynamics of that and encourage by modeling the simplicity of teaching the gospel. I'm a wigs and robes type of guy. So I model the simplicity of if the Bible story has a dialogue, and I love stories where Jesus has a conversation with people. Ooh, those are the stories I want to act out. And, and it's improv. You call a couple of kids up, you act out the Bible story. The word of God is a double-edged sword. Guess what, Scott? They're going to go home with it because mm. it's going to pierce them. Wow. And so we want to wow. model that. And there's also a mission school in Panama. Out of the 800 four-square churches in Panama, Panama only has three missionaries abroad. We want to change that. We want to encourage People remind people what uh, Jeremiah 1 5 says that, and it says that you've been set apart, you've been separated, you've been called to be a prophet to the nations. But Jorge, I'm from a tribe or I'm from an indigenous community. There's no way that God could ever be calling me to Africa. I want to say baloney. If he calls you, he will equip you. And it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, how you were raised, he will make a way. Mm. And also, as you mentioned, film work as filmmakers, videographers, it's going to be a huge tool that we want to use to highlight and make documentaries of what the Panama church is doing. Mm. And also we want to be able to go, here's the kick in the head. We want to be able to go to missionaries in the surrounding country, Scott, and produce documentaries to those missionaries at no cost because professional high grade documentaries, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. So we want to use the support that we are raising to live in Panama. We want Panama to be our home base. We want to not only encourage the Panama church, but we want to go to these, where these missionaries are and say, hey, you have a team of supporters that financially contribute to you every month. You need to keep them in tune. You need to mm-hmm. show them what you're doing. Let's make mm-hmm. you a documentary. So we want to, we, mm-hmm. that, those are the three aspects of our, of our ministry that we want to focus wow. on. Very, very, very cool, bro. Thanks for detailing that out. Sounds like the Lord's given you really clear vision and avenues to go up and terms of your contribution. So that that's super cool. Just a, I got a few more questions and then we got to make sure to get your contact information. We'll put it in the show notes, but we got to make sure and get that on this episode. But where are you guys going to be in Panama? Your push date again, if you don't mind giving us your, your date of anticipated departure. I know you're still working on getting the stuff squared away to get that done, but where are you guys going to be also in Panama with those two pieces of info. We are supernaturally believing for February 2019 for the Flores family to be in Panama, Boquete, Boquete, Panama, about 37 miles from the Costa Rican border, and then about six hours of a drive from Panama City. But it puts us in a very central location so we can go to the mountainous communities, go to the uh, villages, go to different areas and minister. And so Boquete. Boquete, and and it's close. It's the closest border there, as you mentioned, is... Is Costa Rica is Pacific side? North side. Costa Rica is to the north, obviously, and it's 37 miles from the Costa okay. Rica border, which will make it easy for us every six months to kind of, you know, to meet until we get residency there to, uh-huh, yeah. know, to just step out for a day and come back to meet, mm-hmm. to meet with yeah. them. Yeah. Is it coastal or is it in the center of the landmass or is it, uh, oh. is it on one side of the other? Yeah, it's about 45 minutes from the Atlantic. Okay, so you're on the Caribbean. Yes, sir. Caribbean side there. Very, very, very cool. For a while, I've had a a real strong desire to get to Panama. Had a few invitations, 
but I uh, haven't, I passed through there. You know how that is. You pass through a place, you spend a day or you don't get a chance to get out of the airport or whatever. I've always had Panama on my, on my uh, radar of interest. So super cool. I look forward to maybe getting down there to see you guys. That'd be, that'd be awesome. If people who hear this, they want to reach out to you, they want to get in touch or, or make some kind of connection. Maybe there's some contact information or a website or some means of uh, communication. What would you, what would you like to include? People can contact us through email. Our email is mission to Panama, just like that mission to Panama at gmail.com mission to Panama at gmail.com. We don't have a website, but we have a, a site within the four square missions page specifically designed for us. You can just go to foursquaremissions.org mm-hmm. under the missionary directory, which is one of the tabs on the menu. Just type in our last name, Flores, and it will mm-hmm. take you straight to our giving page. Giving monthly gifts is very easy to do, very self-explanatory. Those are the easiest ways. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page designed for this, and it's Familia Flores Mission to Panama. On Facebook, yeah. Cool. Very cool. So yeah, we'll put some of those links and stuff on the show notes so that folks can get to there easy if they're listening or want to click through. Really appreciate you taking some time to talk about this next stage of your adventure. I thank God for giving you guys the inspiration and the willingness to step out and make these steps. It sounds like a the fields are white for harvest, specific to the church emphasis of youth and children's ministry in that environment. I applaud that, man. Thanks for doing that. I think for me, I'm super interested in getting whatever I can do to help Latin Americans get into the mission field from Latin America, like you're talking about. There's only three missionaries from the organization that are going from Panama, from 800 churches. Sounds a lot like the U.S. to me. (laughs) I want to motivate people to get out there and gather the confidence that they need to trust God and step out. So appreciate you guys as being a great example of that. Thanks for coming on from the forefront. We'll get these links to you as the thing's getting ready to publish, but really appreciate you and Jessica and your courage and your family, your blessings on your family and your children and on a future straight ahead full of God's grace, man. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Scott. God bless you, man. And you. Scott McClellan with your FX Missions from the Forefront podcast. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. Thanks for joining us for the FX Missions podcast from the Forefront. If you'd like to find out more about FX Missions, please do so at our blog, fxmissions.com. We have quite a bit of content out there. We hope you enjoy it. Also, If you'd like to rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use, we would really appreciate it. And find out more about today's guest at our Facebook page. Just search for From the Forefront on Facebook. If you know of someone who should be featured on From the Forefront because of their Forefront missions experience or exploits, please reach out to us at info at fxmissions.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, I'm Scott McClelland, and you have a good one.